Well, the My Turn article in Newsweek for this week talks about a dog that ran away. And in the running away, brought the family together to be a family. And what an unusual thing that is. But it turns out that the daughter had first been an orphan and then she had been adopted by a new mother here in the United States and then her new mother died and another family adopted her. And she wanted a dog. And after a few years, they got a dog. And within 24 hours, the mother opened the door and there was this red streak that ran by and the dog went out the door and they couldn't find it. And the little girl cried for over three hours. Three hours of sobbing. And yet that tragedy became the catalyst for the, all of the grief, the death of her mother, her biological mother, her adoptive mother, the loss of home, the displacement, the cultural shift that she had had to endure. And so the dog running away actually allowed her to begin to grieve and to find her life renewed. And now several years later, that dust-up was what made them a family. Two friends of mine were doing a cross-country journey in an automobile. And you know, when you're in the car with somebody for hour after hour after hour, you run out of things to say, or maybe things get said that cause tension. <laughs> well, someplace along Omaha, they had a real dust-up. It was a brouhaha, and uh, he made her take him to the airport. She dropped him off gladly, and he flew the rest of the way. <laughs> and yet, when they got back together on the West Coast, they became friends. On television, either this week or next week, big love is going to show the marriage sacrament of the LDS Church in all of its detail. And this is causing a real dust-up for the LDS Church and people who believe in that approach to God. And there's all of these comments that are going on that are angry because people are going to see a very sacred moment in their lives. Robert Kirby calls it, or talks about it, as though it is indiscreet voyeurism. And he says that voyeurism can lead to mockery. What a dust-up that is. You see, a runaway dog, friends fighting, disagreement about media attention on the LDS church, dust-ups happen. And dust-ups like this can be good or bad. They can be clarifying or they can be conflict-creating. And so when there are dust-ups like this that occur in our lives, I call them dust-devils. You know what a dust-devil is? Out in the desert and the wind begins to swirl and it uh, is a, a windstorm that's sort of like a small tornado. And I call these 
dust devils because, A, they're messy. If there's any moisture in the air, it ruins your paint job or your wash job on your car. They are short-lived, but they're powerful and strong if you've ever been in the middle of one as it sweeps across the desert. And they point to something bigger, a larger issue. They remind us of a tornado that does far more destruction. And they raise fear within us. So you see that the dog wasn't the real grief, but it was a trigger for a greater grief. The friends' fight allowed them to be honest, authentic people to one another, which build the relationship even more strongly. And this big love story allowed Bob Kirby to reflect on how we all make judgments about others by seeing a slice of something that is secret through voyeurism, through selective voyeurism that leads to mockery. And so we're going to talk about dust devils today. But let's go back. Let's go back to Exodus 20, to the people of God who were wandering in the desert. They had a lot of dust devils, didn't they? They had times when they wanted to rebel. They had times when they began to worship other idols and even made a golden calf. And Moses was trying to show them to be faithful to God. And so he goes up on the hill, Mount Sinai, and there he receives the Ten Commandments. And he brings those down and he gives them to the people. It is the law, the Decalogue, if you will, the Ten Words. And these ten words were not just to crush the spirit of the people, but to draw their focus so that they could see how they could relate to God in a more positive way. It is really easy for us to make fun of the Ten Commandments and talk about them being multiple choice. Or somebody said the other day there were 20 of them, but then the tablets fell and we only got half the message. And yet, the principles that it lays down gives us certain parameters that gives us freedom to live with God in a new kind of relationship that we hadn't understood before. So in the midst of all of the dust devils of the desert of Sinai, God gave them the gift that helped them to focus living in a righteous way so that they could walk with God once again. Moses uh, showed us the way, and then centuries later, Jesus comes. And once again, the people had, have lost their way to being with God. All kinds of things have developed, but Jesus is cleansing the temple in John chapter 2, verses 13 and following. He's cleansing the temple. So let's look at the scripture to see this dust up and how Jesus handled it. His challenge to the people who were selling the doves and the cattle and the, the sheep 
was really an affront and a challenge to how they were using their religion in that day. Because it had become a den of thieves, as one translation says it. That they were using their position of selling to travelers who were coming for the holidays those things that they didn't bring with them that they needed as offerings in the temple. And he is saying this isn't the way to relate to God by making this a marketplace. And he drives them out. He's speaking against not only just that there were thieves and robber barons, but he's also speaking against those who were perpetuating this, the temple leaders themselves. And the whole temple worship is now being said, that isn't the way that you get to God. It is through me, Jesus. Put it into context. It's at the beginning of John. This story, which is in all four Gospels, is at the end, or at least at the middle, of all the other three. But in this story, it's at the beginning. Jesus is establishing his identity as the Messiah, as the one to lead the people of the Jews and the people of God into a new relationship with God. He begins the chapter 2 with the miracle of the wedding at Cana, where he establishes himself as being different than everybody else, turning wine into water into wine. And then we come to these verses, and he says, this is my father's house, identifying himself with God as the Lord, as the Son of God. And he is there to say, that there's a new way, and I'm going to show you that way. And so for all of the rest of the chapters of John, Jesus is living out that reality, and he does it in a dust-up. You see, there are times for righteous indignation. Why did Jesus do this? What led him to this white-hot anger in the temple courts? Or maybe it wasn't anger. Maybe it was righteous indignation. Righteousness against those religious leaders to whom religion had become a business. Hmm. And a bureaucracy. But not the relationship with God as God had intended it. So he's throwing out the old and bringing in the new. So that was a little dust-up that pointed to the resurrection that would come if this temple is torn down in three days it will be raised again. Three days is the key word there. So this dust devil of an event points us also to the tornado that was coming when the rock that was in front of the tomb was blown away and let Jesus on the loose so that we could be living life today. Well, we have experienced tornadoes in our lifetime. And this congregation, a year ago tomorrow, was one of those tornadoes. Perhaps the lowest point in the history of this congregation but we are finding our way through it, and we're perhaps stronger because of it. The leaving of Scott Weiser as pastor, 
is something that's built into the very fabric of who we are. And we're trying to forget it. And yet our bodies in some way remember anniversaries like this. And that it comes to pass that in some way we become agitated when these anniversaries come around. We're finding our way through it. The last two Sundays I've been preaching about hope in the future, in the midst of these very difficult times that are filled with economic challenges and social change and war. But it's not just because of current economic events or the fact that the United States is fighting wars on two fronts, even though these are genuine concerns. Right here in this congregation, we have strong feelings about things. And we need words of hope and signs that all things are possible in God. We're finding our way by learning new ways to be. Some have found healing over this past years and, and year, and others have not. It takes some longer than others, and some will never find resolution to this tornado through which we have lived. And First Baptist Church has discovered that it was more, it was about more than just the incident or a person's personal struggles. The tornado was about us as a congregation. It was about First Baptist Church and the way that we relate to one another and the way that we relate to the community. Another dust-up that we have right now is concern about bingo. And bingo's an issue. And some of you don't know about it, but the pictures and the article in the newspaper by Peggy Stack in the face section of Salt Lake Tribune a couple of weeks ago actually is a real dust-up. It's caused heartburn for a number of people. There are those who are upset. It's become one of those whirling dust devils that can haunt us. They're messy. They're powerful. They're disturbing. Some saw this as positive publicity for the church. Bert Hughes had said in Sunday school just a couple of weeks earlier, we need publicity in the life of the church. And then it came, and some saw it as good. And some didn't see it so good. They saw it as negative publicity. Several people outside of the church have commented to me in positive ways about the article and have called the office asking, well, when's the next bingo? And other people have said, oh my gosh, what are they doing at First Baptist Church? Others felt that it was okay to have the event, but the publicity was wrong. Or they were embarrassed in front of their friends and family who know that they go to this church. One Episcopal pastor at St. Paul's Church just down the hill, he said, well, good, some other church can take the heat for supporting gays and lesbians in their search for faith and fellowship. Well, I think whenever there's a dust devil in our midst, when there's a tornado that's raging around us, that it's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow and to provide, to apply the concepts and to bring clarity, to process who we are, our identity and our purpose as First Baptist Church.
We get to practice those things that I've been teaching you. Don't gossip and just talk to your friends. Find the right place to express your concern or your opinion and say it there where you can have answers and you can have reaction and you can have change if it's called for. Go to the person who knows the information, who can do something about your concern. And remember the three C's. The three C's are absolutely essential when there is this dust devil that's swirling in our midst. The first C is to remain calm. Let's not get so excited that we react to one another in overt ways that are destructive. But remain calm in the face of concern and criticism from others to validate their statements and their feelings and to remain calm enough so that we don't create more wind in the dust-up or the tornado that we're experiencing. And we are to stay connected. We are to stay connected to one another. And when we feel the spawns or the strains tearing us apart, like those two people doing the cross-country drive in an automobile, they had strains that separated them. But later they came back together and found a connection that because they were now authentic and honest with one another, their relationship was stronger and healthier. And then we should stay on course. That we should continue in the direction that we're going long term. Because just because there's something that has occurred within our life together, we don't just change course. We may do mid-course corrections, but we're still going for that goal out there that we have set for ourselves. But to be able to stay on course, we have to have a course. We have to have a goal. We have to have a process and to, do, to develop what it is we think God is calling us to be about. And we're entering into that process right now. These will be the most important meetings that this congregation has had in a long time, if ever. We're going to have small groups and then a big group. We're going to have in homes or here at the church meetings of 8, 10, 12 people. And we're going to have an all-church gathering. And then there will probably be some kind of follow-up meetings. Why are we having these meetings? Well, we're seeking to identify who we are as a congregation so that when the new, when the pastor's search committee is calling a new pastor, we can say to that pastor, this is where we want to go. This is our goal. And we want you to come and help us to stay on course. I know that many people have been through this before. Everywhere I go, they've set goals. They've had mission statements. They've developed strategic plans. And they spend all of this energy. And often it's year after year, new people leading it. And all of those plans get put in a binder, get put on a shelf, and gather dust. But that's not going to happen this time. It's not going to happen for two reasons. It is going to be a fundamentally different approach 
It is going to be that this will result in the church profile where we're going to call a new pastor. So we have to do it. And we have to do it sincerely. And the other reason that it's not going to gather dust on a shelf is I won't let that happen. I'll haunt you and I'll antagonize you and I will work with the leadership so that it doesn't get left on a shelf. Because it is my fundamental thought is that the congregation needs to know who it is so it can be that which God calls it to be. This is also a different process. This is a story I hope you hear in each of the small groups. All too often we think there are all these shoulds and oughts. The church should be this. And so when we're writing all of those things on the paper, we say, oh my gosh, we ought to do this, or we should do that, or every church does this. And that always reminds me of the children's sermon where the, the leader said, what is gray, has a bushy tail, and eats nuts? And this little boy is raising his hand and he handed the microphone and the little boy says, it's, a, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And of course the pastor looks at him like he's nuts and he says, it sounds like a squirrel to me, but the answer is always Jesus. That's what we have done for years and years is to say Jesus, but it was a squirrel. We just said what we thought was the answer. And what we are planning to do in the weeks ahead is that we're going to take from within who we are as individuals and build an image of First Baptist Church in such a way that it will have integrity and it will be from the call of God and it will be based upon who we are not what we think we ought to be or should be. And everybody needs to participate. I know that you've done all of these surveys and so on, and you can say, well, my ideas are already expressed. But no. In this process of the groups, we need every person, whether you're somebody who is right in the middle of the leadership, or if you're on the fringe and you're disavowed or disaffected as a member, if you have a continuing interest in the life of this congregation moving into the future, then everyone needs to attend one of these. We're going to call it something like the core value quest or a vision quest or, or some such. And this experience is different than anything that we have ever done before. What we're going to be doing now has far larger implications. And it needs to have everybody, even those who think they're disempowered or they're not listening to me anymore. This is an opportunity for every voice to be heard, to participate, and to help build this new structure. You see, in the temple dust-up, Jesus talks to the disciples. And he says to them at the end, if you tear it down, it, I will raise it again in three days. 
And he's pointing to the resurrection. He's pointing to the newness that God is promising in Jesus Christ. And to we, First Baptist Church, are about newness. Moving into the future, away from the dust-ups that have haunted us and the tornado that has swept the feet out from underneath of us and torn the roof off of our house. And we're going to move into the future and to rebuild in a way that has a great foundation in Jesus Christ. And a foundation in understanding the Word of God. And having a foundation that is built upon the collective values and ideas and faith of this people. The people of First Baptist Church. Today's the midpoint of the five Sundays of Lent. And as we stand here today, we're looking beyond Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. We're looking beyond that to the Easter renewal that God gave us and gives us over and over again. We are looking to be surprised by the Easter promise once again in our life together and to be renewed and to find the joy that God intends. That as we come together, even when there's dust-ups, even when there are dust devils that swirl through us, we will be a community of faith that glorifies God in who we are and all that we do. And I do this. I know it will be done. In the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.